0: used Zencaster before
1: uh not from your position but yeah I've done some podcasts where the hosts are using it okay cool um
0: I'm imagining that you've been uh quite busy on the uh, media circuit
1: been doing a handful of these yeah (laughs) (laughs)
0: um yeah so uh as I as I DM'd you um I took your cert down in Charleston I'm outside Philly um but I've been following you forever ever since uh you were working with Rob on the Paleo Solution podcast and doing performance menu stuff, which I just looked up. You, you're still doing it, which is pretty crazy.
1: Sixteen years. That's crazy. It's gotta be. Um, uh, it's gotta be some kind of record for that sort of thing.
0: <laughs> I meant to. I forgot to change, but I uh, ended up winning one of your hoodies in uh, some sort of contest that you ran. Maybe when like yeah. the Olympic lifting uh, or weightlifting book came out, and. Uh, and so it's upstairs. I forgot to go grab it, but all good.
1: Yeah, you don't you don't want to do that. It's like wearing the T-shirt of the band you're going to see play.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Almost as bad as wearing the uh, 5K T-shirt before the race. Right? right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I thought we would just go through some of the background, some of your background. Um. Obviously, talk about the book, but uh, you know, I've listened to uh, some of your recent podcasts that other people have done. Um, So we'll just kind of see where it goes. Sounds good. All right, man. All right, guys. Uh, So today on the podcast, we have Greg Everett. Um, Greg, I had first probably heard about years ago when he was working with Rob Wolf on the paleo podcast, and um, we'll get into some of the history, but he just came out with a book called Tough Uh, building true mental physical and emotional toughness for success and fulfillment so we'll we'll dive into that as well um greg thanks for being here i know you're a busy guy Um, can you give our audience a little bit of background as to who you are um maybe leading up to you know your role as a weightlifting coach and uh, obviously as an author as well
1: sure uh yeah thanks for having me too i appreciate it um so I, I, I own and run Catalyst Athletics, which is the kind of the two arms of it are, are first and foremost. Uh, it is a competitive weightlifting team. So we have a national championship women's team. Uh, we've been around for quite a few years now at this point. Uh, but then also the the business side of it is that we publish primarily uh, instructional material, educational material for weightlifting, both for coaches and athletes. And so I've been doing that since. 2006 when I started it, um, sort of since 2005, uh, if you consider the performance menu, which is now a part of Catalyst Athletics. So been uh, on that train for a little while. Um, prior to that, man, background, I don't even know where to start. It goes back to real early years of just being involved in pretty much every sport you can think of and probably a handful you haven't even heard of, uh, and always being very really drawn to the training aspect of whatever I was doing and so it was kind of a natural progression I think for me when the opportunities arose uh, to get into training which I did at you know age 18 uh, you know personal training, that sort of thing. and then I eventually met Rob Wolf uh, I think in early 2003 and he had helped start the first crossFit affiliate gym like he and his partners literally gave the idea, of having affiliate gyms to Greg and Lauren Glassman. Um, Shortly thereafter, he moved down to Northern California from Seattle and started the fourth affiliate, which I then became partners uh, or a partner in shortly thereafter. So been kind of in that CrossFit and weightlifting world for a long time and in various uh, ways and uh, just have been very fortunate in who I've met and when and gotten a lot of good opportunities.
0: Now, you, you would consider yourself more on the weightlifting side, obviously, than the CrossFit side. How did you get into weightlifting? Because I imagine at the time, it was not what it is today in terms of, uh, you know, you've seen the growing popularity, uh, I think you would agree, uh, in large part due to CrossFit. But um, I'm imagining at the time that you got into it, it really wasn't like a, a yeah. popular thing. Yeah.
1: Back in the olden days, uh, <laughs> so that that would have been you know, early to mid nineties is when I first started kind of playing with snatch, clean and jerk. Um, yeah, you, you couldn't just get on the Google machine and look up weightlifting coach near me. Right. Uh, there, I didn't know anyone who had ever done it. I didn't certainly didn't know any coaches. My high school weight room was like two, uh, you know, power racks and a couple of benches, you know, no platforms, no bumpers, none of that stuff. Uh, you know, the strength coaches at my high school were kind of bodybuilding guys. So the, you know, I, I think the, the first, or at least one of the first exposures I had to, it was Charles Polican's old book, uh, Polican principles. And there was a mm-hmm. picture of a guy from the air force weightlifting team doing a front squat in a singlet. And I was like, huh, what's this? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really just kind of putting the pieces together on my own in my, uh, garage and, and. I can't say that I was particularly adept at it at that point. And of course, many years later, I discovered that Jim Schmitz, who's, you know, one of the most decorated weightlifting coaches in the country was 45 minutes north of where I grew up, but there was you know, no, social there was no media way for me no, to know that. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to randomly one day pick up a phone book from South San Francisco <laughs> and be like, oh, look, weightlifting coach. Um, so that, that's was frustrating in retrospect, but so I kind of just, you know, Screwed around a little bit with it for a number of years, and um, like you said, CrossFit was a big help for the sport in general. It certainly helped me in that sense because um, you know when I finally met Rob Wolf, that was an opportunity where it's like, hey, we got rubber on the floor, we got bar. It wasn't a great bar, but at least it spun a little bit, and we've got some bumper plates. So it was kind of this chance for me to to take this thing that I had been interested in for years, but kind of been unable to pursue because of the circumstances and then, you know, really have that chance to, to run with it. So the CrossFit for me was less about CrossFit than it was for opportunities for weightlifting. And that has really played out on a really big scale in the past 10 years.
0: Got it. So from my understanding, you also have experience with things like working on an ambulance Working in a bike shop. Um, We'll talk about the tactical games later. Multiple bike shops. (laughs) Okay, see that's important to know.
1: Quite quite a professional.
0: Important to have that on your resume as a weightlifting coach for sure. Uh, So, talk about those in in the sense of like um, what got you interested in in these things? It it seems like you have a ton of different interests, Uh, and so where does
1: that come from? Uh, You know what I don't I don't know where it comes from. I feel like I've always been naturally curious to a large extent and um i think that's that's the nice way of looking at it the, the not as nice way of looking at it is that i get bored with things very quickly right so it's it's not mm-hmm. always a positive thing like oh i'm so excited i want to go learn new stuff it's like i'm kind of tired of the stuff i already know i want to go do something else so mm-hmm. you can kind of look at it both ways but I, I think ultimately either way you look at it it's been a really beneficial thing for me because i have gotten you know a ridiculously broad array of experiences and um uh, you know having the ability to uh be good friends with people from totally different backgrounds um and you know working in in with people or for people with totally different backgrounds so i think it's provided me um kind of an an abnormal amount of insight for my age if that makes sense and of course now it's harder for me to say that cuz now i'm getting old but um so I've just been, again, like I said earlier, I've been really fortunate with, you know, having these opportunities, but also, of course, uh, it, there was a lot of active seeking out of those opportunities and pursuing things that weren't necessarily uh, easily uh, easy for me to do. Yeah, you know, the ambulance thing is—it uh, it was that was kind of a roundabout thing too, because I moved to uh, Northern California specifically to go through the Butte County Fire Academy. Um, I got the job working on the ambulance and got sidetracked doing that and ended up not going to the Academy. Mm -hmm. So, and then of course I did that for a while and was like, well, you know, this is cool, but it's not really what I want to do. And that was right around the time I met Rob. So I started running the gym Mm -hmm. while I was also supporting myself with, you know, website design and subsidy, publishing other people's books. And, you know, Rob, his wife, Nikki and I all had like two or three jobs to Mm -hmm. try to make that gym go. And Mm -hmm. so that's, for those people who just started their CrossFit gym a couple years ago, whole different landscape back then. We were begging people to train with us because no one knew what CrossFit was and they all thought it looked stupid. You know, whereas now you you have an existing market, so it was a very different game back then.
0: Yeah, I I think forget you guys, the original
1: question, honestly, but I don't think I answered it. It's totally it.
0: fine. I do too. Um, I think you guys were—I uh, don't know where I heard this—but uh, like slapping your own stickers on water bottles and like handing them out. Oh yeah at like 5Ks or or stuff.
1: I, I actually remember that very specifically. There was some race nearby Bidwell Park in Chico, and uh, it was Rob and Nikki's genius idea to go there and kind of as a sponsorship sort of thing, be at the finish line handing out waters. And so they told me like, hey, you need to design a little thing that we can glue to the water bottle. That's basically an ad. And so I designed this thing. We printed out a million of them. We sat there with like spray adhesive in the parking lot of the gym, like wrapping them around God knows how many bottles. I don't think we got a single client out of that. Uh, Nikki and I once walked the length of this uh, asphalt bike path in Chico. I don't know how many miles it was, but it it was a long day. And every, you know, however many yards one of us would kneel down and with chalk, write the name of the gym and the website. Just yep. ridiculous marketing stuff that I don't think ever got us a single person, but it was like, there was nothing else to do. Right. You know, because yeah, you had to just get it, it in front marketing. of people. Yeah. Yep.
0: Especially without the brand name recognition that it, it has now for sure. Right. Cool, man. Um, so, you know, when you, when you talk about like a lot of these things that you get into, well, actually, let's back up. So I, I think you were an English major, right? Yeah. So yep. was that an intentional decision or was that like a, I don't really know what I want to do, but so I'm just going to major in English?
1: It was mostly the latter. Uh, that was my third college and uh, because I got just bouncing around not having any idea what I wanted to do. And I just figured, hey, I need to get a degree and just get out of here. So English has got to be the easiest thing. Mm-hmm. Um and so during a time toward the end of that, I was considering uh going the graduate school route and you know teaching American lit in college. I actually taught a course at Chico State mm-hmm. and I hated every second of it. Couldn't stand it. I couldn't get out of that room fast enough every day. Um so that took me off that path really quickly because it just I realized that it wasn't while I like I think by nature i like teaching i like helping people not in that format it just mm-hmm. didn't suit me <clears> at all um so too, luckily, too I dry, figured that too, out. like structured yeah i think there were yeah too much structure and too much um i just didn't like being you know having the restrictions of having to teach certain things in certain ways mm-hmm. versus now That's essentially what I do all day long is teach, but I do literally whatever I want, however I want, when I want. Uh, You know, I've been since I've been self-employed basically since I was, I mean, 23 or so. So the idea of having a boss and having a rigid structure, I don't think I could handle it. I think I would just have a nervous breakdown.
0: Where do you think that comes from? You feel like you were like that even as
1: a little kid? Um probably I mean I think I was always very motivated to work like I had jobs you know going back to being 10 years old between paper routes and mm-hmm. I mean like painting red curbs I remember being 11 years old rolling on my skateboard with the paint so I didn't have to bend over the whole time um so I was always looking for ways to make money to have that sense of independence uh and so yeah I mean it clearly is part of my nature that I just didn't want to be under someone else's thumb
0: yeah you you've you know i followed a lot of your stuff over the years and uh you're definitely one of the most um self-deprecating people out there you know so you you provide a ton of value by answering people's questions on instagram and by posting the performance menu and um posting useful videos um that are you know digestible and uh and so you put out just a ton of content, but at the same time, you also um, put off a, a very humble uh, front. Which I feel like, in someone in your position, especially in these days where weightlifting is pretty popular um, relative to a decade ago, you could be, you know, that like quote unquote Instagram celebrity, right? Whereas you put up content, people follow you if they like you, and you don't really seem to care if if they don't, right? Um, where, where do you feel like you've gotten that balance of, you know, this, this is overused word, but authenticity, right. But, you know, because you seem like right now you are exactly the person who I met at the seminar down in Charleston, you know, however, seven years ago or whatever. And, uh, and also the person that people see on Instagram. So where, where does that come
1: from? Uh, I, I think it's just, um, I don't like Instagram celebrities. I don't like the the inauthentic persona uh, that has become so prevalent because it's so easy with the advent of social media. media. It's so easy to pretend to be someone you are not Mm -hmm. and to have this weird um, air of entitlement and this expectation that people be in love with you and think you're the greatest thing on earth and it's just a bunch of little peasants running around at your knee and you're patting them on the head every once in a while. If you feel like it, that's ridiculous, man. Like I coach weightlifting. It's not like, uh, I'm not some, uh, you know, Epic civil rights leader or like an astronaut who went to the moon before anyone else. Like I teach people how to snatch and clean and jerk. And maybe I throw out some tidbits of life advice here and there. If I feel like it, if it doesn't feel too pretentious to me at the moment, um, So I think that's all it is. It's just the recognition that it's not that big of a deal. I don't take myself that seriously. And at the end of the day, I realize I got to be able to go home and live with myself. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. I would be absolutely embarrassed uh, to behave the way that I see 90% of uh, people kind of in my position behaving because I don't think it's necessary. First of all, and I, I have this dilemma all the time. It's like, i could make more money i could have more followers on instagram and youtube if i just chose to act more like a douchebag Mm -hmm. like it it's that's the formula and it's it's really sad like one weird trick like i don't want to be that guy here's my video it's about the snatch turnover if you don't like the title then you can go see someone else's goofy video that doesn't teach you anything and spends twenty minutes, you know, telling you how cool that guy is, right? So, um, it's really just a personal thing. I, I just I'm not willing to create a persona that I'm not even comfortable with, right? I don't want to be embarrassed by myself. I, I do that naturally enough as it is.
0: <laughs> when uh, when you and Amy are uh, working with athletes, um, are there times where people reach out to you and they're like, "Hey, I would love to work with you. Can you?" coach me, you know, whatever, um, but you turn them away because it, it kind of related to what we were just talking about, their persona is just, it's not a good fit.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, we, well, between the two of us, we turn down a lot of people and, and primarily it's just a, an issue of time. Sure. Um, you know, Amy coaches a lot of one-on-one clients and a lot of athletes. I have my competitive team lifters and then I only have a couple private clients now Um, and then I have a couple of teams on train heroic, which to me, that was a better way to be more accessible to people because Uh, there aren't a lot of people who can afford to pay me $300 a month for personal training. Um, and I don't, I I don't like charging that much, but that's what's kind of necessary these days. Um, so instead I can get hundreds of people for 25 to 30 bucks a month and still give them some degree of that. Uh, but yes, there is, there have been, um, Many times we're just having conversations with a, a potential athlete or, you know, it's not entirely out of the question that we might go kind of check out their Instagram sometimes and see like, do we want to be associated with this person or um, is this someone that's going to just drive me nuts every day until I have to fire them? Because it's much easier to just not take an athlete in the first place and say, yeah, I'm too busy or whatever, than have to, you know, after six months or something have to be like, I can't stand you. Like you got to find a different coach. Like that's a hard conversation to have because um, uh-huh. even if you don't like them, you don't like hurting people's feelings and like being a dick about it. But you know, at, at this point, luckily we're both established enough that we can be pretty picky with who we work with. Um, so you know, ten years ago that wasn't the case where we we pretty much had to take anybody who was willing to give us any amount of money. And I'm very glad that I'm not in that position anymore because I had some miserable experiences with various people, as I'm sure all coaches and trainers have.
0: For sure. But that's, I mean, that's, you know, in business and in many things, like you got to say yes to everything at first. And then if what you're providing is actually valuable and you are in more demand, then you can afford to say no, right?
1: Yeah, when Um, you have to. (laughs) Right, right. That's that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned in the past (laughs) years is I have to say no more and I don't like doing it mm-hmm so let's
0: talk about the book um you you've written several books right Do- or over a dozen um you know i feel like your olympic weightlifting book is like the, the the bible of uh weightlifting uh in the sense of uh if anyone has has seen it or read it you know they would think you could only talk so much about the hook grip but uh let greg everett actually school you but i'll then. talk more <laughs> Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. so, where did this book Tough come from? Uh, it seems like it's been a long time in the making, but it finally has kind of crystallized in the last year or so. So, you want to talk about how it all came about?
1: Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know exactly what the origins were, but I, I do have notes on my computer dating back to 2011 with a book of that title. Uh, to be fair, you know, the original concept was not what it turned out to be. It was. It was definitely more. Um, skewed towards the, the physical side of things, um, obviously some of the, the mental side, but it, it was not the really broad, all-encompassing thing that it turned out to be. And so I think, it, you know, it's, it's just been a lifetime of, like we talked about earlier, a lot of different experiences and a lot of, um, you, know, you know, my personal experiences with trying to kind of figure my way through life and and being that. Uh, growing up very insecure, very self-conscious, and that you know, eventually turning into just being the the stereotypical super pissed off teenager and you know, twenty something guy who just you know, in, instead of wanting to actually deal with things productively, was just like, uh, I hate everybody, everything's a problem, and I'm just going to be mad about it. Um, and, and so, really, kind of that personal evolution. Along with all of the experiences I had with other people, and, and learning, uh, you know, these common patterns and, and all that stuff, and trying to assemble it in a way that was accessible to anybody who wanted to figure this stuff out, but also, um, you know, provided actual practical guidance. So it's not just like this, uh, you know, real nebulous philosophical sort of book. Like this is what I think about the world now. Good luck figuring out how to implement this in any practical way. Uh, So I really tried to make it all inclusive and and totally accessible, but also useful, right? So you're not just like reading it and then sitting in bed for two hours every night wondering, uh, all right, I know something's wrong, but I don't know, you know, what am I going to do about it? So this is a, a paint by the numbers sort of thing, ultimately.
0: Yeah, so I thought we could go through the four C's. Um, so you mm-hmm. have character, capability, capacity, and commitment, which is uh, pretty convenient. Also a C. Um, oh, yeah,
1: that's, this is where it goes right here. Yeah,
0: exactly. All C's. So, um, so talk about character. What you
1: know? What is that all about in the book? So, character is your identity, but also also it's your security in that identity. So by identity, I mean. Uh, you know, who you are, what you value, what is meaningful for you uh, or to you, what are your underlying motivations? You know, why do you do the things you do? Why do you value the things you do? Um, And and understanding that that is ultimately self-determined if you choose it to be, right? So we can either say, this is who I am. There's nothing I can do about it. you know, maybe I'm just going to be miserable for the rest of my life and unsuccessful and unfulfilled Or you can kind of accept that responsibility and say, no, this is who I want to be. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I'm going to determine what the behavior and ways of thinking um, that support that identity are. And then I'm going to work to implement those things into my life until I'm no longer acting like that person, but have actually become that person. Um, And the security side of things is really critical because that's how we avoid you know, all the silly competition and one upmanship and the desperate attention seeking and, and you know, uh, searches for validation. So speaking of Instagram um, and, and you, you end up just being able to simply be who you are, do what is meaningful to you um, and interact with people with honesty and integrity versus always having some kind of weird ulterior motive. Even if it's, you know, not, I don't mean that it is, is some kind of like nefarious plot, but just in the mm-hmm. sense that you're not really doing something for its own sake, but you're doing it because you're trying to get attention or credit for it or, you know, whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's really what that comes down to. And that's the foundation of everything else.
0: Yeah, I think this quote comes from that section. Uh, it says most of us float through life like a fallen stick on a river, rather than making clear choices about what we are and what we're doing. We spend our lives retroactively describing who we happen to be, rather than proactively prescribing who we are. So, yeah, I really like that. Um, yeah, I don't. I
1: don't like the idea that that I'm very much not a fatalist, right? I don't believe that we have this like set. Our, our lives are set and predetermined. Because what's the point? You literally could just sit on your couch and watch TV for the rest of your life, and it would make no difference.
0: Yeah. So I I don't know if you listen to um, uh, How I Built This, uh, NPR's How I Built This, but Guy Raz on that always asks business uh, leaders if they believe their success is related to um, luck or their hard work. So Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that you would lean way more towards the hard work
1: the hard work but yes uh i do recognize that often there are circumstances that have nothing to do with my own work that have provided me opportunities but again uh you know that's that's where that hard work comes in because that's what prepares you to take advantage of those opportunities when they arise
0: yeah and i think you know between your own journey and basically everyone else's i think a lot of people think about their future in a very linear fashion like i'm going to mm-hmm. have a 10 year goal of this and i will just head right. straight towards that right whereas personally i don't really believe in doing 10 year goals because to me that's just way too far out and anything can happen between now and then you know let alone like even now and a year from now right like no one knew the pandemic was coming right and right. you have know, people losing their jobs, but all of a sudden now they realize that their passion is now something they can pursue, and they're turning it into a career, right? So, not that they would have ever predicted that. What's a what's an actionable yeah, well, step related to character? Yeah, go ahead. But um, um, yeah, I was go just
1: going to say that that's a perfect uh, example of adversity being an opportunity if you make the choice to use it, right? Because those same right. people who are saying. Well, I never would have realized this is what I wanted to do and I never would have taken the risk, but now I have this opportunity because I lost my job and I've, I've got to do something. So I might as well do this thing that I want to do. That's, that's the real self-determination that we need versus I lost my job. Woe is me. The world hates me. There's nothing Mm -hmm. I can do about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not saying that having that attitude means that magically you're going to start this new career and become a billionaire. Mm-hmm. You're still very likely going to struggle and have a lot of problems, but yep. cha- you know, changing the way you view that experience is going to make all the difference in the world, both in how you uh, how you experience it and what the ultimate outcome is.
0: I love it. What's something tangible that someone can do to examine their own character? Something um, they can either think about, put down on
1: paper, um, something to kind of question themselves you definitely got to put it down on paper and, and, the, you know, the book has a series of exercises at the end of each chapter for this specific content. Um, but you, you definitely need uh, as the the absolute baseline is you need to sit down and describe who you are, right? Not, not how you think you are, not how you want to be, not who other people see you as, but who you truly are. It doesn't have to be super expensive. You don't have to do a whole Freudian psychoanalysis or anything at that point. Um, and once you've done that, then you need to describe who you want to be, right? You know, if everything you could possibly want uh, were attainable in terms of your character and, and your your values, what would that look like? So, and then once you've got that, you've got to figure out the difference, right? What's, what's the gap there? And how, you know, what do you need to do in order to close that gap and to move from who you are to who you want to be? And most of that's going to be, uh, or require some, some really tough and often very unflattering and kind of discouraging self-examination. Uh, most of us are not willing to truly take a look at who we are. Uh, we're very good at self-deception. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, the, the problem with that is that it prevents our ever changing and improving and getting to the point we want to be. Cause if we don't believe we have this shortcoming or problem, why would we ever take steps to change it or, or try to repair it, right? So you, you kind of have to get the, the real nasty, uncomfortable stuff out of the way because that's what gives you the opportunity to then make the moves that that, that bring you to where you want to be.
0: Cool. Yeah. Basically establish a baseline, figure out where you want to go, and then figure out what those, those gaps are to at least start working on those. Yep. Uh, so the second one is capability. Uh, what's that all about?
1: It's about everything that could possibly fall under the umbrella of the word capability. And, and I, I I don't even mean that as a joke. It really truly is. So, you know, a lot of times when we think of toughness, we think of, uh, you know, two basic things. One is, you know, physical ability, you know, like, well, I can climb a mountain or I can, you know, beat this guy up. And then we have the idea of resilience. Um, and to me, capability is, is really so much broader than that. It is Uh, The widest array of not just physical abilities and physical skills, but, um, you know, mental and emotional tools and knowledge. So this is essentially our toolbox that we're going to pile as many different tools and experiences into as possible, because the more of those we have, the more prepared we are to successfully deal with any possible thing we encounter. Right. So even, you know, totally unrelated abilities or what we we see as being unrelated abilities will often be able to combine synergistically in certain situations, you know, when opportunities or, uh, you know, demands arise where we never would have imagined that these two things would go together uh, and suddenly we find ourselves in some kind of emergency or, you know, some sort of, of challenge. And all of a sudden, that's what allows us to figure something out to overcome some obstacle to be successful Mm -hmm. so again the more of those tools that we can learn and develop the more information we have the more experience we have using those things in different situations the more ready we are to apply them to you know novel experiences that we can't predict
0: yep i never would have imagined that i would own a gym or even be a trainer of any sort because growing up i always thought they were you know meatheads who you know couldn't really do anything else. Yeah. I started college as an engineer. Uh, ended up switching a uh, junior year to counseling. Worked in the school system for a little bit, and then quit that and opened up a gym. So I'll talk about moment arms and levers and things that I learned as an engineer uh, right. when coaching, because that you know it has all has all to do with physics, right? But there's no way that I would have prepared myself or even thought that 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 was something that I should be doing in order to get to the point that. I wanted to be right. Right. So yeah, this is stuff that engineering is
1: not a typical track for a coach. <laughs> uh,
0: no, no,
1: but neither uh, is English. So I
0: was going to say, yeah, neither is English, uh, but it's it allows really you to a track for anything. Right. It does allow you to write five pages about the hook grip though. Um, True. So what's something that tangible that someone could do to uh, increase or to, you know, better their capability. Uh
1: this one you can break into a couple of different steps first and foremost is to look at what your true needed abilities are based on your profession your lifestyle and your locality right so um, you have to check those things off the list first because without those you're either not doing your job well or losing your job uh, or getting hurt or killed right it, you know if, if you're a, a you know uh, in law enforcement or the military or you're uh, a fisherman in the North Atlantic, if you're not good at your job, you are risking life and limb. Um, And then beyond that, you've got to figure out, okay, what are the next things that uh, might continue to support what I do already, but that I'm also interested in? How can I start expanding out from what I do every day? And then you move on to the, the most peripheral stuff like I want to learn how to weld, or I want to be fluent in German, you know, what anything. Um, and and the real goal ultimately is to not just shore up the abilities that you need day to day, but to move well beyond your, what is typically for us a very narrow bandwidth of experience and ability. Um, and you have to get out there and be willing to risk a little embarrassment and a little bit of, you know, temporary failure mm-hmm. in order to learn this stuff versus what we typically do, which is I have my little area. This is my space. I'm staying in my lane, as we like to say. Uh, But the problem with that is, you know, but aside from the fact that you're missing out on all these amazing experiences in which you can learn, um, it is very easy to overestimate your ability outside that realm based on your uh, good ability within it, right? Mm -hmm, So it's like, mm -hmm. okay, if you're an engineer, um, you know, you know, all the, the physics and stuff like that. But then uh, my dad was an engineer, too, so don't take it personally. But engineers have a reputation of believing they're great architects or they're great mechanics. Uh-huh. Right. And, and that's rarely the case. You know, we all have our specialty. And that's always going to remain true. We're always going to be best at something, largely because it's what we've been doing longest. Mm-hmm. But the more we can get out there and experience things that are totally unrelated you know, to that, that uh, you know, original focus, um, not only are we more capable in general, but we start, as you learned, we start getting insight into that original specialty that we never would have been able to have had we stayed within that realm. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's the thing is you can't predict what you're going to learn from elsewhere that applies to what you're already doing. But I can promise that you will learn something if you're paying attention.
0: You feel like that's coming uh, from a a fear of failure—the fact that a lot of people stay in
1: their lane. And and I don't know if it's even failure directly, so much as embarrassment. They don't want to be feel vulnerable. They don't want to be exposed in front of their peers as being incapable. Because uh, men, especially, right, is we we tend to have that part of our ego which is all about you know. looking or a- appearing capable to others, right? Well, I'm not worried about getting in a fight or I'm not worried about, uh, the house catching on fire cause I'll save everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happens is that rather than actually doing the things necessary to have those capabilities and therefore the confidence that we're pretending to have, we just avoid anything that would expose our incapability with those things. So we can keep pretending that we have it.
0: Yeah. It's a so yeah, I guess the actionable step yeah. is to
1: get out there and risk that embarrassment which is minor, temporary, no one cares about it. They're all going to forget about it and move on yep. uh, long before, you know, before you do yep. uh, and, and to actually be willing to get out there and try stuff.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a, a old school way of thinking about being tough, right? If you're just, you know, puffing up your chest and, and having this machismo about, you know, being able to, to beat up someone else. But what you're saying is, Hey, look, like you got to have different experiences in order to make yourself more resilient. Um, right. and I think you tell a story of, um, uh, the guy who was out at sea for like 76 days, Stephen Callahan, Stephen Callahan. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, talk, talk about that because uh, people might've heard the story, but, but when it was in the news, but, um, you know, what was his deal and why, why is he considered tough?
1: So uh, this guy was sailing solo across the Atlantic ocean. So solo it's a relatively small boat was hit by a whale at some point and sank really quickly, like so quickly he couldn't even get all of his emergency supplies out. Um, fortunately, he got you know the life raft which had some supplies on it. and uh, you know it's got a solar still and a backup solar still. Neither of them worked. like he was constantly having to fiddle with things and make them work. And he was out there for 76 days. And, you know, those, those rafts and those supplies are not built to last that long. They just mm-hmm. don't. They start disintegrating and uh, all kinds of problems. So, um, you know, the, the most amazing thing he did was he had a, a leak in the raft. And no matter what he tried, it would, it would, his patches wouldn't hold. He's trying to tie rope around it, all these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so finally, he figures out a way to uh, fix the leak using a fork which you know in a, with some rope and stuff but mm-hmm. the the level of ingenuity and and willingness to, to like have these really uh, audacious ideas mm-hmm. to be able to come up with fixing a leak in a raft with something that we normally associate with creating leaks mm-hmm. it uh, just a whole nother level yep. um and so the the fact that this guy could not just survive physically um but think about being alone, totally isolated for 76 days. Even if you're in a safe place and you have all the life-supporting supplies you need, most of us would lose our minds. Like, literally, we would go crazy.
0: Yeah, just being alone.
1: Um, so, yeah. So not only did he do that, he did that in the presence of a, a constant threat of death. There are sharks bumping into his raft here and there. Uh, he he can barely get enough water to drink. He's He's having to try to catch fish that happened to swim close enough to the raft, you know, dry the meat, and then it pours rain and it gets wet and it gets, you know, it rots, and he can't eat it. Just anything you can imagine, he's dealing with that, maintaining the presence of mind to do stuff like, you know, fix a leak in a raft with a fork uh, and then gets back home. And not only uh, does he survive, but he ends up, you know, having this great productive life after that this was in the mid 80s i think that it happened um and i actually talked to him real briefly via, uh, via email a couple months ago and he's just the nicest guy and he's like yeah i'm so happy to see that my story is like still helping and inspiring people and so it's like every every facet of being a true survivor and and thriving through you know just ridiculous adversity he demonstrated so he's a pretty impressive uh, uh example of this stuff
0: Yeah. I think he made uh, a sextant out of like pencils, right? Like, Yep. Yep. I wouldn't even know where to begin with that. Right. So.
1: Yeah. um, I think it just looks like chopsticks.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the third one, uh, third C is capacity. What is capacity all about?
1: So capacity is what we typically think of as resilience. Right. But my problem with resilience is that, um, and this is probably more you would look at it this way from an engineering perspective, right. Is, Resilience is really the ability to return to the original condition after some kind of traumatic event, right? And so that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's a good start, but that's not good enough to me. Like if you're going to go through some kind of adversity, your goal should be to come out better on the other end, not just, you know, it's like huddling in the cellar, riding out a storm. Mm -hmm. And then once the storm passes, you just resume your normal life. Like, okay, that's okay. But you know, how about, uh, after that storm, you go outside, you assess what's happening. Oh, this tree's down. This is broken. Well, now this is my opportunity to fix all these problems I had before. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to repair this stuff anyway, so now I'm going to improve. So that's the way I look at capacity ultimately is, is not just the ability to survive and kind of withstand adversity hardship challenge but to actually exploit it to our advantage and you know the, the key thing is when you talk about this stuff you have to remind people that this, this attitude doesn't make unpleasant experiences magically pleasant mm-hmm. right you know you're still gonna be miserable in an objective sense mm-hmm. but you you are less miserable emotionally because you the way you are viewing this experience, is not as a victim, but as someone who has that agency, who is taking the responsibility um, and, and recognize the difference between blame and responsibility, right? It's not my fault that uh, we're in the middle of a, a, a pandemic, but it's my responsibility to do everything I can to make this situation work as well as possible for me, yep. right? And, and so that attitude uh, completely changes our experience in life um, and again, that's how we turn this stuff into opportunity and we find ways to actually become better, stronger, smarter, more engaged, whatever, uh, through it and, and, and afterwards. And so that's that's really what capacity is. It's, it's resilience plus um, a, a way more active, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, eager uh, intent to grow from it. I hate saying that grow from it. It sounds so new agey and self-help, but you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think of you as new agey and self-helpy. So, um, self-helpy is is uh, an oxymoron, though, right? Because people are reading a book to help themselves, so they're asking for your help in helping them. Right? So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to what we were just talking about in the sense of like, don't just sit back; like, be an active participant and and be proactive in whatever you're you're going to do afterwards. Uh, you know, the people who are feeling sorry for themselves all the time complaining about the same thing happening over and over and over again. Well, chances are like, you're the sucker in the poker at the poker table, you know? Right. Um,
1: what a shock, nothing in your life has changed for you.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, I don't know if we talked about it, but is there something tangible related to capacity that people can do? Uh,
1: yeah, there, there there's a lot of stuff. Cause this is a big umbrella. This is the longest chapter in the book. Um, the, the most immediate thing you can do is to focus on self-awareness, right? Paying close attention to your reactions to events, um, you know, catching yourself in the middle of responding emotionally or, or, you know, disproportionately. And then eventually before you have those silly reactions, right? So you're not chewing your wife out, uh for something silly that's actually your fault or you're mad about something that's totally unrelated mm-hmm. um and recognizing those sorts of things so that's number one is, is having that self-awareness and that discipline to start controlling how you react to things and i look at this at you know people are like well you know i want to go climb everest i need a big challenge it's like yeah you you want to get there eventually you need to have you know big challenges like that too but you're not going to be successful with those things. If you're not even willing and able to work on all these little things and all these little things day to day, that's our practice, right? That it's, yes, they're minor and they seem silly in the moment, but that's how you, you accumulate this massive volume of training with these various techniques. And how do I, you know, how do I rein myself in? How do I get control of these emotional reactions? Uh, You know, what are my various tools uh, for calming myself down, regaining composure and being able to actually think clearly and act decisively versus turning into this you know total mess mm-hmm. who is just you know flighty and indecisive and and uh, panicky and in all these things that prevent us from actually doing what we need to do in order to you know save ourselves or save others or you know, and I, I say that in a very general sense. you know, simple stuff day to day. Uh, not just in some big emergency. Um, so that's number one is is the self awareness, and then finding finding little tasks day to day that you can do. That um, well, you know what? I'll, I'll save that for the next the next section. That makes more sure. sense in in with regard to commitment. So yeah, work on the self awareness yeah. part.
0: Yeah, for sure. And also, you know, that whole internal versus external locus of control. Like you have mm-hmm. way more control than some people think right and so right. instead of always thinking oh you know it's it's them it's them it's them like take ownership right you know jocko willing talks about this all the time The extreme ownership you know yep. everything is your fault like even though on some sort of level it might not be like you have control over certain things and so
1: yeah well everything in your life is your responsibility certainly not your fault necessarily right it might be your fault you might have screwed up but right. it, even if it's If someone does something to you, it's still, the onus is still on you to solve the problem because they're not going to do it for you. So yeah, that that internal locus of control is, is huge. And again, that completely changes your perspective on life. Um, it, it, it really truly, and I, I, this sounds really exaggerated, but it really truly does take you from being this miserable, sorry victim into this proactive, um, you know, really engaged and, and properly optimistic type of person, which completely changes the experience of life.
0: Yep. Yeah. You don't need rose colored glasses of like, oh, everything is going to be amazing. Yeah. But it, it gives the sense of control, I think is what is the benefit. It's like, yeah, I I actually can make changes depending
1: on what the situation is. Um, Right.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about commitment. Fourth C commitment. What is that about?
1: So commitment really wraps all this stuff up, right? Because ultimately, um, if we are not willing to put these other things to work when it's you know significant and meaningful, then they're just kind of private fantasies, right? So, uh, yes, I'm very capable. I have all these skills. Okay, well, here's the situation where you need to demonstrate that stuff. But no, you're busy, you know, cowering in the back, waiting for someone else to handle it for you. Mm. Um, Or you uh, have determined to go, this is who I want to be. This, these are my values. And and you kind of live that way day to day. But then as soon as there's a significant challenge, you back off of that stuff, right? You you no longer, you're you're not willing to stand by those things that you say you believe in Mm -hmm. when they're actually being challenged. So it's, it's not a big deal to you know be who you are when there's no threat to it mm-hmm. it is a big deal to be who you are when there's some sort of risk for standing up to that and that could be anything from just a social situation where you're you're the odd man out uh politically socially whatever mm-hmm. and still standing by what you believe mm-hmm. um and it could be you know obviously more more dramatic things So. The commitment side of it includes, you know, the discipline and habit and routine and all that sort you know, creating that lifestyle and that structure that allows you to do these things you've decided need to be done. Uh, But then also the willingness to do the hard work, to do the things that are difficult when they are difficult, not just to do them when, you know, the circumstances have made them easy enough for you that it's okay. Yeah. So
0: what would be something, uh, that someone could do, um, and not even wait for it. Uh, what's something that someone could do like today or, or next week, you know, sooner rather than
1: later to work on this. So this, this is uh, like the capacity, this is little daily stuff, little daily challenges. Um, and it really it comes down to consistently doing little things that you don't want to do. Right. So just in a given day, think about how many little things we avoid because they're inconvenient, or we just don't feel like it, um, you know, whatever the case is, uh, we don't want to take the trash out. It's kind of cold outside, so we leave it in there for three days and it's overflowing, whatever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, is recognizing the avoidance of that stuff and then taking action on it, right? And again, like I said earlier, it sounds silly to most people like, well, that's no big deal. I can do that anytime I want. Really? Then why don't you? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a reason you're avoiding it. So if you think you're so hardcore, then do it. Don't complain about it. Don't procrastinate. Just get it done. Uh, and again, we we build up that ability. We we willpower is a thing that we can actually train and get better. You know, there's ultimately a, a limit to how much of it we can use in a, in a given period of time, but we can train it like pretty much anything else. Um and then it's it's finding ways to structure your your day-to-day life um in in ways that support what you're trying to accomplish. And so that can be anything from um, making sure you get in bed at a decent hour so you can read for an hour or two every single day mm-hmm. instead of like, Oh, it's been six months since I read a book. Cause I'm too busy, uh, you know, checking what I missed on Instagram in the last five minutes or mm-hmm. whatever the case is, mm-hmm. or I'm staying up all night, uh, you know, doing something that doesn't actually provide any value to me. Um, or, uh, you know, putting your, uh, putting your phone on, do not disturb. We're putting it in, in another room so you can actually get your work done in an efficient manner instead of screwing around and taking eight hours to do something that should take four. Yeah. So it's all those little things. And that that creates um, that sense of control over ourselves and our circumstances. It, it builds up you know, our willpower to its kind of maximal ability. And then it allows us to imp- apply that to bigger and bigger things like I'm going to square away my nutrition. I'm going to, you know, quit stuffing donuts down my pie hole every night, mm-hmm. or I'm going to get into the gym every single day. Whatever the case is, and mm-hmm. so you know, there's we exercise this stuff at, at infinite levels of difficulty and duration, and so we it's we have to be careful not to overlook and underestimate the importance of that little day to day stuff because that creates the foundation.
0: The word I'm thinking of is, is discipline. The problem with that is it, it doesn't
1: start with C. So you know, right. commitment to <laughs> discipline. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And th- that is certainly a big part of it. Although we get carried away with the idea of discipline often because it sounds cool. It sounds super tough. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is that a, a very significant chunk of what we do in a given day is habit and routine. We're, mm-hmm. we're not making conscious decisions. We're not really instituting discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, we might say, well, I quit eating donuts every night. I'm very disciplined. Well, no, you quit eating them because you stopped bringing them into the house. Mm. Even those nights you want a donut, you're not actually doing anything to prevent yourself from eating that donut. Mm-hmm. You just don't have access to it anymore. Got it. Yep. So that's not discipline, that's structure, yep. right? It might take discipline in the first place to stop buying them, mm-hmm. but it is not taking discipline to not, to not eat them, right? So We have to have that stuff. And it's not that we want to uh, sterilize our environment to get rid of all temptation because then our willpower weakens. Mm -hmm. But we do have to recognize that we can't just be like the uber disciplined guy uh, who's just like angry and self-deprived and and just like denying himself all pleasure for eternity because that's cool and I want to be disciplined. Yeah, you don't need to be the Uh,
0: austere just – you know, grump. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like settle down. Let's enjoy life. Uh, let's, let's focus on what's actually important and meaningful versus like just proving to everybody how badass you are. Yeah. Got it. Which is not tough.
0: Yeah. Uh, so a lot of our listeners have kids, uh, I've got two little kids. And so how would you take these principles and basically teach or encourage, or, uh, you know, I don't know what the word would be, but, you know, instill some of these things with kids?
1: Uh, I have a daughter too, actually. She just started college, believe it or not. Um, so the, the number one thing is that you have to be the example. Uh, and this is true for parents. It's true for coaches, for teachers, whatever you can say, whatever you want. You know, what's the classic parental advice. Do as I say, not as I do, right. doesn't work. Kids are always going to do what they see you doing. That is their model That is how all kids learn ultimately is modeling people who have done there or done it before them. Um, So whatever you're teaching your kids, you have to reinforce with your own behavior. And if you don't, you can't expect it to work. So that's, that's number one, first and foremost. And then the second thing is that you need to, as much as possible, find ways to either create experiences for them to learn these things or take advantage of the naturally occurring experiences to reinforce the lessons. So you can't, you can't take an eight year old kid and try to teach them these complex philosophical ideas. It, it doesn't work. They'll say, yes, I understand dad, but they don't understand. And it's not their own fault. They're eight, right? I didn't understand this stuff when I was eight years old. I'd like to think I did, you know, and most teenagers of course, think they understand it, but you don't. Um, so what it really requires is having some kind of experience that they're engaged in that you can associate those lessons with, right? So, so, you know, making them do hard work or, you know, clean up the backyard, or take the trash out, whatever it is, uh, going on some tough hike, it doesn't really matter what it is exactly, but saying, Hey, this is an opportunity, um, to kind of impart this particular lesson on well, why do we do this? Why is this important? Or why is it important for you to have the integrity to go take responsibility for a mistake you make, uh, You know, whatever the case is. And so rather than having these like isolated philosophical conceptual things, simplifying them as much as possible, really reducing them to their essence, and then attaching them to an experience, mm. because that's what's going to be memorable to them. Mm. And then, of course, always reinforcing it with your own uh, behavior.
0: Yeah. That's why I really like sports because I feel like there's so many life lessons in sports, you know, from how to lose graciously to putting in hard work to, you know, anything in between. So, um, that, that's an obvious one, but, um,
1: yeah, yeah, I like that. Well, but even sports, right. As a parent or a coach, you have to reinforce those things. Like they're not necessarily yeah, natural yeah. lessons. And so that, that's people forget that. Right. <clears throat> totally. Uh, and so that's your opportunity. So a kid, uh, your, your kid comes home after getting totally slaughtered in the, in the baseball game mm-hmm. and refuse to shake the, the opposing teammates hand or whatever the case is. Yep. That's when you pull them aside and say, Hey, little Johnny, like, this isn't going to fly. This is why you need to, you know, learn how to be gracious, even in defeat and in, especially in victory. Um, you know, this is why, and this is going to build all these other characteristics. And then of course, uh, they're a lot more likely to understand it if they've had that experience.
0: Yeah. We, uh, my five-year-old has, uh, this, uh, chess board uh, called storytime chess. So it teaches chess mm-hmm. through, uh, stories about, you know, the, the king, king shaky, and he's got these characteristics. And then, you know, the, the rooks have these, these characteristics. So it's a pretty cool way to teach chess, but, uh, you know, I, I don't let up on him. Like I beat him every time and he gets pissed yeah. off. Right. So it's like, I'm having these exact conversations with him right now of like, Hey right. man, like, you got to shake hands. You might not like it, but you got to shake hands and you got to just take it and let's learn from it. Let's go over the game if you want, but this is not going to fly when you're in school and you, you're, you're playing with your friend and you get pissed off and you flip the board. Like, right.
1: Yeah. Well, um, And he's going to learn too that way that when he actually does beat you, it's going to be an actual accomplishment. Exactly.
0: Yep. Yep. And he's getting close, which is kind of scary. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let's, uh, all right, so I want to I just kind of wrap things up soon, but um, is there anything else from the book, or let, let's go with this. Is there a main takeaway that if, if someone you know, reads this book and you want them to come away with just one concept, what
1: would that be? That sense of responsibility for the course and content and experience of your own life. That, I mean, it literally, if, if there was only one thing, and I hope there's more than one thing, everybody gets out of the book, but if, if it's only one thing, it's gotta be that, because with that, you can essentially get to the other things mm-hmm. without that, none of those things are going to yep. ever take shape.
0: Yep. Yeah. That makes sense. Take responsibility for yourself. Yep. Um, so let's talk about the tactical games, um, I didn't really know what it was until I heard about it from you on some other podcast, And so, uh, I figured some people might be interested in learning what it is.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one for me, man. I gotta be honest. So, I you know, I was basically forced into retirement from weightlifting. I blew out my shoulder at the 2015 national championships. And for any number of reasons, you know, over the next two years, I just couldn't get back into shape. Part of it was by that time I was, 37 years old, which wasn't helping anything. But, um, so I was, I was kind of this lost, very vulnerable young man looking for something, some kind of athletic outlet. And and my best friend, uh, is a, you know, career Navy guy. He was a corpsman and, you know, multiple combat tours and stuff. And he found, uh, this tactical games thing, which was, you know, at that point in its infancy still, Mm. and he signed up for a competition and he kind of was like, just, ah, just come on, just do it. I was like, well, I'm not a shooter. Like I I mean, yes, I've shot guns. Uh I'm not opposed to them necessarily, but I'm not like super into shooting. You're not a gun guy. I'm not a fervent gun yeah, guy, right? Yeah. And then and I thought about it and I was like, you know what, why not? Like I'm not doing anything else. This is something completely outside my wheelhouse. Um, you know, literally going to compete against people who've been shooting since they were little children. Mm-hmm. Um so it would be a hell of a challenge. And so I went and this was February 2019, I think was the first one I did. And uh, it was tough, man. But it was one of those things where it was so different from what I had done. that uh, I think that's what was appealing to it. And it was this, it wasn't strictly shooting competition. And I've done a couple of those and they're just not super exciting to me. Because mm-hmm. again, the gun part of it is not the part that's super appealing. Mm-hmm. It's it's the total experience. It's the total combination. It was very physically demanding, especially for a former weightlifter. I hadn't you know, I, I was really in shape when I was younger and I was great, you know, a six minute mile to me was like a normal thing. Mm. I'm not joking when I say that the I took a few months to prepare for that first one. I physically could not run for longer than one minute because my <laughs> lower legs were so deconditioned that I was incapable of picking my toes up off the ground. Like it was bananas. So uh, yeah. I mean, triples it, it are normally a, cardio
0: for you, right? As a weightlifter. So. Right.
1: Yeah. And I didn't do triples anyway, doubles at the most. <laughs> uh, so it was, it, it was one of those things where it was like, man, that was really hard. It was something totally different. And then I was just hooked. And I think I've done 11 or 12 of them now at this point. So, Got it. so it's the, a combination problem, of like
0: carrying things and rucking up stuff. And, and
1: Yeah. It's yeah. Anything you can think of. So it's, it's over two days, It's it's six to eight different events. Gotcha. Um, so you're doing three to four different, um, stages per day and, and they're anywhere. Yeah. Typically now they're, they're time capped to 12 minutes. Although you have ones that go outside that, like, for example, um, I qualified for the first national championships. That was this last November. And one of the events was a 12 mile, 50 pound ruck. Yeah. So that, that was just one of you know six or seven events or no it was more cuz it was 3 days instead of 2 so that was one of uh you know nine or 10 events whatever it was um so yeah you have to be prepared to do just about anything and be willing to do just about anything and there's very few things that i would uh or there's a million things i'd rather do than than ruck for 12 miles but it was one of those things where it was like well this is what it is i'm going to do it i'm going to train for it if i can and uh, I survived, know? and I wasn't even last.
0: Do you know going in what the events are, or do they tell you them,
1: that's the only event we've ever known ahead of time? Because it was kind of one of those safety gotcha. things where it's like, well, we don't want people to actually die, right. so we're going to give them a heads up on this a couple months out. Gotcha. Uh, but no, you you don't know what the events are until you're right there. Gotcha. So even if you know in a, a two day event, you don't know what Saturday's events are until Saturday morning when you get there. Mm-hmm. You don't know what Sunday's events are until Sunday morning. Or like, for example, I, there was one I did where I finished the last stage on Saturday and one of the organizers that came by and said, Hey, if you're in the elite division, you need to be here at four o'clock tomorrow morning, wear good shoes. I was like, okay. So that, that was a ruck, in, you know, first thing in the morning, starting in the dark. Um, so they'll, you know, they'll throw stuff at you like that. Um, but that's what makes it interesting. Right. And it's cause if there's always going to be something that you're not good at or not the best at. Um, so physically I've done pretty well. My shooting is definitely not up to par with most of the elite competitors that I'm going against, but mm-hmm. I I'm not, I'm not passionate enough about shooting to really put in the necessary time on that. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just do what I do and, and, uh, you know, see where, see where it goes. And you know, I've done okay that way, but mm-hmm. if I really wanted to, to win or, or podium at those things, I would have to get very serious about shooting and, So far, that hasn't happened. Yeah.
0: Do you see yourself coaching uh, for as long as you can uh, in terms of weightlifting?
1: Yeah. I I think the real question is how long people will be interested in having me coach Mm. versus how long I'll be interested in coaching, right? And I I look at what I do now as – I know it's temporary. I know it could go away at any time, so I'm trying to get as much out of it as I can while I can. Um, I I don't think that in 20 years I'm probably going to be in the same position I am now. Um, I don't know. You know, obviously, most things with regard to Catalyst Athletics have been unpredicted and unpredictable, Mm -hmm. so it it could be. Uh, But yeah, I don't. I don't foresee myself quitting when there's still an opportunity for me to continue.
0: Yep. Got it. You didn't predict the uh, Black Box Summit in
1: Austin? Uh, we actually kinda kind of did. There, well, yeah. there were two <laughs> but, specific people attending.
0: That's a whole other podcast. Um, two, two last questions. That's a whole book.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And then we'll, uh, we'll let you go. Um, so I, I don't know if this is actually going to be an easy question or a hard question as an English major, but um, what book would you recommend most people read if not all people besides yourself yeah, besides your own, from all my books yeah, besides yeah.
1: Your own. uh you actually you know what the 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 book that i read last year that that really um resonated with me and that was really one of those i, I get disappointed with books so regularly it's kind of like why is this a bestseller <laughs> like what am i missing here am i the stupid one um, but the, the book deep survival by Lawrence Gonzalez, mm. uh, is just a phenomenal book. Um, and I, I, actually refer to it in my book a couple times, but oh, yeah. okay. it's, it's, uh, probably not what people are expecting. Um, but that book, and then he did a follow-up called everyday survival. Both of those are really good and, and definitely worth reading. Cool.
0: I like it. Um, and then the last question is what's on your bucket list. So uh, before you kick the bucket, what are some things that you want to get done, travel to, uh, whatever? You
1: know, what's funny is I, I've never been a person who's really thought about that stuff. And I, I probably should because uh, there is a bucket in my future at some point. Um, I, you know what? What I'm starting to do this year is really try to set aside more time for myself, right? I've been going so hard for the past 15 years, worrying about everybody else in the universe besides myself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like I'm going to do a course in Idaho in July uh, for a week. And I, I'm super excited about it because I've had to be the guy in charge and the guy teaching all the time mm-hmm. for so many years. Like I haven't had the opportunities to go be a student again in so long. hmm so, I really, I guess I would say, just in, in broad strokes, that's my goal: is to get to, to ensure that I'm building more of that stuff into my life, mm-hmm. versus constantly putting it off because I don't have the time. Yeah,
0: I like that. Cool, man. Um, anything else about the the book? And then, if not, uh, where can people find out more about the book? Yourself, uh, Catalyst Athletics.
1: Uh, for the book specifically, becomingtough.com uh, or in- Instagram handles Becoming Tough, uh, that'll give you, you know, links to purchasing stuff and excerpts and, uh, you know, uh, endorsements and reviews and all that fun stuff if you need more convincing. Um, and then, of course, catalystathletics.com or the Instagram handle Catalyst Athletics. Between those two, it's, you'll find every single thing I'm doing or have done.
0: Cool. Well, I appreciate your time. Uh, I know you're a busy guy. So um, thanks for coming on. And uh, I'll see you on Instagram being the star that you are.
1: Yeah. Yes. Um, One of these days, I'll get a blue check and then it's going to be all over. Then people will have to take me seriously. Exactly. To show your butt more. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you.